0: Welcome to Unconventionally Speaking, the PSA podcast where we go behind the scenes to learn about the triumphs and tribulations that helped shape the careers of our unconvention 2022 learning gurus and experience masters. Not only will you get a sneak peek into their session, you'll also gain valuable insight into the speaking business and tips on how to navigate the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead. Hi, everyone. Kim Sealing Smith here. And today on our podcast, we have Sarah Cordner, who is a course creation specialist. And she is going to be leading one of our unconvention sessions, keynotes to courses, how to maximize your impact and income with an online course or coaching program. Welcome, Sarah. Hello,
1: it is absolutely fantastic to be here. I'm very excited and I cannot wait for Unconvention 2022. I've seen a sneak peek of that speaker lineup and is looking very, very fun indeed.
0: It is, isn't it? I'm quite proud of it, actually. And one of the sessions that I'm really looking forward to seeing myself is yours. So you and I haven't met before, so I'd love. I'm going to really enjoy learning a little bit more about you. So let's start with your two three minute verbal show reel. You know, as speakers, we're asked to put together show reels, and obviously, this is a podcast. So give us your verbal show reel. What do you normally speak on, and what wows your audiences?
1: Well, I thank you very much for that. I'm really. Passionate about helping people extract all the knowledge and experiences they have from inside their heads and sharing that with the world in a way that is going to educate other people, help other people, inspire other people, and to do that in a way that's also commercially valuable. So I like to use the term edupreneurs for people who educationally impact their marketplace. So I really do believe that absolutely every single one of us has skills, has knowledge, has experiences, and has something that they can share with other people. And that can be shared in lots of different ways. It can be shared in books. It can be shared in speeches, presentations, keynotes. It can be shared in online courses, coaching programs, memberships. And I absolutely love helping people do that to share their message and use their gift of speaking and educating to make a
0: massive difference to people's lives. Oh, I love that. And I especially love that you also incorporate the commercial aspect of that because so many of us are on a mission and we want to share our knowledge with the world. And sometimes we forget to ask for money to do it. So, <laughs> so I love the fact that you incorporate yeah. that. Now, we know that all Hollywood greats had a secret career before they became famous. What was yours? What did you do before you became a professional speaker? Well, (laughs) this is an
1: interesting question because I actually was born in a gypsy culture, a gypsy heritage, which in a way suggests that uh, us females shouldn't be educated and that our place is very much in the home. And (laughs) I've now gone on to um, grow myself an international education business um, and have gone on to actually, I still hold the record as the youngest executive director and head of campus of a university in Australian history. And (laughs) I started all of that by basically saying that I would never go back into a classroom again. I had a particularly horrible day in a history classroom back in the UK at the uh, ambitious old age of 14 years old. And I was like, I I can't wait to leave school. I am never, ever going back into a classroom ever again. But I did, obviously. Here I am now teaching other people how to create educational programs. Um, I went backpacking around the world and I basically stumbled across education by actually inadvertently helping a young Fijian girl in a little beach hut to, Discover the world. Uh, she was playing around with one of my travel guides, and we kind of, through pigeon language and body language, um, helped her understand that there, were actually more to, there was more to the world than the tiny island that she lived on. And I watched her then replicate the lesson I'd shown her with all of the other kids in the room. And there was this really magic moment for me where I just thought, wow. I think I just showed somebody the world, right? (laughs) It was quite a moment. And I thought, I really want to do that again. I really want to help people find something and discover something that they didn't realize existed. I really also want to help people do that in a way where they're going to help other people show other people what they didn't know existed. And for me, a journey kind of began there. I ran back to the UK after a year of backpacking around the world. And there was one place left, one place left on the university program for that year, because I was so late returning in the academic year. And it was in teaching and education. So I went in and did my teaching degree. Uh, It it was like a sign. I mean, if if ever there was meant to be a sign, there it is. And my first uh, post, actually, my first position was teaching in an all-male prison, a category B male prison in the UK. So there I was, this young, ambitious, blonde female um, working in the prison system. And I I just happened to be there at the right place, right time. I, I got roped into writing all of the new curriculum. They just had a new provider take over the prison education system. And they had to rewrite all of their programs from scratch and a whole range of topics. And I just discovered that I absolutely loved curriculum design and development. I loved collecting information, resources, and knowledge and pulling all of that together. Very quickly, I started my own business in education and uh, then got headhunted by the same provider of the prison education system to become uh, a training manager for a government organization basically replicating those programs outside of the prison system too. So I had to hire my university lecturer (laughs) to run my business for me because the business was then successful as well. And um, so I basically um, carried on running the business. I expanded out into Europe. Um, I then obviously, uh, here I am now in Australia and moved the business out over here. Uh, But most recently, my most recent role was working as the executive director and head of campus for the University of Notre Dame, actually up in Broome. So not only the youngest university director in Australia, Australian history, but also was leading one of the most remote university campuses in the world. And my word was it a fantastic experience. And I truly believe that that opportunity only came to me because of the impact, the visibility, the exposure that I was able to make through professional speaking.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, how fascinating. And what brought you to Australia?
1: Well, <laughs> well um, I fell in love with my primary school sweetheart. And he said, have you ever thought about Australia? And I said, like, oh, i thought about it quite a lot. And he said, well, would you like to live there? And I'm one of those people that's like, well, why not? So I flew on out to Australia on my own. We thought we can't be completely risky. So he carried on, kept his job uh, over in Europe. And I came out by myself with 25 kilos of bikinis and pretty much nothing else. <laughs> (laughs) I arrived in the middle of Australian winter and was very surprised to discover that Australia has a winter. Those bikinis quickly became pillows because I also didn't have anything to sleep on. Uh, And I had basically found myself in a situation where I had to find a way to make some money so that I could get a roof over my head and get some food on my table. And for me, what actually helped me go from being a brand new arrival in Australia with a suitcase full of bikinis and a whole load of hope was... Was to, to having a to having a seven figure business within eighteen months was speaking was actually asking myself well, if I'm going to succeed, if I'm going to make any money at all to even eat, but let alone create recreate my business over in Australia. I have to find some customers, I have to find a market, I have to let people know who I am, what I do, how I can help people. And the only way I felt at the time, um, you know, the internet wasn't as effective as it is now with all of the groups and communities that there are, I knew that for me, the most powerful and effective and fastest and most impactful way to do that was to get on stages. And that's really kind of where my my speaking began. And I realized very, very quickly just how powerful sharing your message on a stage can be. And I do absolutely attribute the success that I had financially and in the growth of my business to being able to just get on stage and suck up that fear, the nerves that come with that obviously. And and to just go out there and, and share my passion with what I do, what I know with other people up on a stage. And it has completely and utterly transformed my business by being, you know, going out there and sharing my message with the world as a speaker.
0: That's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Speaking obviously is not for the faint of heart, as we like to say. If it were easy, anyone could do it. And all speaking businesses have their ups and downs, and I'm sure yours has been been similar. Has there ever been a time when you wanted to throw it all in? What happened and what made you keep going?
1: Yeah, I think every single one of us who have tried to make something from nothing can recall a day or a moment or a period or a season where we've just gone, I feel like I'm bashing my head against a brick wall. We've all had those. And I, I do actually have a story that I, that I share quite commonly about a day when the government changed all of its contracts. And as a result of that, all of my clients who were funded under that particular government program had to close their contracts with me, resulting in me losing 23 employees and $2.7 million in a single day. Now, that was a pretty emotional day. However, I would say that there was a time for me that was even harder than that. What's harder than losing $2.7 million and 23 people in a day? Actually, for me, it was the, the, the transition of becoming a mother. I had spent you know a lot of my life being very ambitious independent you know just absolute go-getter anything I wanted nothing would stop me to go out there and get that and I'd do whatever it took because I just was I'm just fueled by by the passion for what I do right and um, but along came this baby and I, I you know, we desperately wanted her for years we've we'd been trying and trying and trying and along came my gorgeous 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 little bundle of joy and all of a sudden I realized <laughs> in a matter of seconds that my life had completely transformed and I couldn't keep doing things the way I was doing them. And the day I had my baby, I was laying in bed and I had decided to basically continue my business. I thought, you know, I'm great. I'm strong. I'm tough. I'm powerful. I know what I'm doing. I can keep doing this. we had a particular project running and the client wasn't happy with this PowerPoint uh, presentation that one of my team had delivered. I hadn't checked it properly because I was literally giving birth. And uh, unfortunately, the client did get, get delivered a very poor product from our side. And <laughs> there I was literally a few hours our old baby in my arms in all of the pain, the joy, the kind of emotional experience that goes with it. And this person, instead of contacting me, basically took to going online and sharing this awful presentation. <laughs> and as you can imagine there was there was all these comments that just made me feel like my world had ended. It obviously hadn't, it was a PowerPoint slide, but you know, when you're in that hormone induced moment of childbirth, um, you know, I thought the world had completely come to an end. And yeah, there's that few weeks and few months afterwards where you, you kind of are adjusting to this new identity am I a businesswoman? Am I a mother? How do I be a mother? I've never done this before. Do I have to completely stop everything if I'm going to succeed in this new role that I have? Or can I do both? And I really remember struggling with that quite, 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 Quite severely, to be honest, in, in how I had to transform what I did, how I did it, how I served my customers, how I could also make sure that I was fulfilling me. And I had to really look quite deeply into why I was, you know, go, going back to those roots. Why did I choose to start this business? Why do I love it? And how does that compare to now why I chose to be a mother and why I love having this role as well? And can I have both of those roles in my life still? And that was a really, really powerful, deep, painful time where I honestly asked myself whether or not my business could continue. And I found that a pretty hard time. And I think a lot of people who have children, you know, not just mothers, but anyone who have children come into their world when they've been used to running their own show, that is, for a lot of people, a very, very hard
0: time. It is. It's difficult. So what made you decide to keep going? That introspection, where did that introspection lead?
1: Yeah. So it really it came back to some very similar questions I asked myself on the day where I had that massive financial hit as well. And I asked myself, well, why do I love this? Why did I start this? What does this mean to me? What makes me feel fulfilled? And it all came back to the same thing. You know, I feel alive when I'm doing X, Y, and Z. And it's the question I ask my clients as well: what makes you feel alive? What makes time disappear? What is it that gives you satisfaction? What makes you feel like an energized rather than depleted? And for me, it just came back to sharing my message, to sharing my knowledge, to sharing my passion with people. And I realized that. Before, I didn't have to keep jumping on planes and flying around the world to speak on physical stages to do that. This was obviously pre-COVID. My daughter um, is five now. I do have another another baby that's come along during COVID, but um, I, you know, I was sort of running this model, my business, particularly my professional speaking side. I was on planes all the time. I was in hotels all the time. I was up late at conferences and gala dinners and cocktail parties all the time. So when I'm holding my darling little baby, I'm thinking, I can't drag you around doing all of this. But does that mean I'm going to lose my business? And I quickly realized the answer was no. I can have both but we can do this differently and this is where I basically sat down and I got a camera and instead of standing on a stage I sat at my desk And I shared the exact same messages, the exact same lessons, the exact same knowledge, the exact same passion, but to the camera instead with my little baby cooing next to me, (laughs) being able to bounce her away in her little bouncer with my foot. And I not only was able to reach the same amount of people I had been reaching before, but I didn't have to leave my house. And I actually doubled my business in the six months after my baby was born, because the second you press publish, the second you turn your camera on or go live, the second you start speaking on online conferences and conventions, you are now in front of millions of people at once, not just the few hundred or few thousand people that might be in that conference room. So for me, I was able to draw upon all of the experience I'd had on stages and in workshops and in conference rooms and in training rooms and be able to basically scale that beyond Beyond anything I could ever have imagined and having my baby, having that time of thinking I'm going to lose it all actually has for me now grown my business to a place where right now while I'm talking to you, I'm in a tiny remote outback town in Western Australia. My nearest supermarket is 93 kilometers away, right? That's how remote I am. I'm in the spare bedroom of this house and I currently have 124,000 students logged into my online courses in 164 countries around the world and I do not have to leave my house. I'm talking to you right now Kim with my slippers on. And this is the power. This is truly the power of of going online. And I think, you know, if we can look at anything that is a perceived crisis and say right, I still love my thing. I still love what I do. But does this crisis have underneath it some kind of opportunity? Does it give me the chance to say, how else can I do this? Is there a different way I can keep doing this, but just in a different vehicle or a different mode?
0: And the answer is absolutely you can. Absolutely. So clearly it was worth it. How have you been able to level up? We all get stuck either in business or taking our craft to the next level, or our mindset. That's what stops a lot of us. The ability to really accept that we're worthy or that we're capable of doubling our business in six months or having a baby and, and coming back from you know the most difficult professional experience. What have you done to get yourself unstuck when you have felt stuck in one of those areas?
1: Hmm. I think when we are stuck in a moment of crises, it's really easy to really get sucked into that vortex of, you know, oh my gosh, everything's going wrong. Oh my gosh, what have I done? Oh my gosh, how am I going to get out of this? <laughs> am I ever going to recover? Am I ever going to survive? Maybe I should just quit. I've been trying for so long, and here I am stuck again. This happens to all of us. And I think one thing that we can always absolutely guarantee is those things are going to continue to happen. We can't control the world. We can't control life. None of us knew the pandemic was going to come. We can't control that sickness might happen. God forbid it doesn't. There are always going to be things that are going to happen to us that are going to throw a curveball, that are going to knock us back down to the ground, and are going to make us think, you know, is this all worth it? Am I going the right direction? But we have to remember, I think that we have got through a crisis before, and if we've done it before, that time, yeah, you know, it's a distant memory maybe, but at that point, it felt just as all-consuming. It felt just as suffocating, dark, black, and, and hopeless we can do it again. If we've got through one thing, we, we have within us the resilience and ability to overcome yet another challenge, albeit we're now wiser. We're now even more experienced at overcoming challenges. And again, just going back to, um, I, I like to have the two-pronged vision of one, reminding myself and ourselves why we're doing what we do. Why are we doing this? What is it that's going to keep setting our heart alive? And is this is, does this have the potential to still keep helping us? The other one is looking outside of us. And for me, that's been a, sh- a huge motivator is, If there's, you know, you might be just starting out, and if you've got one person who you've helped, one person who said, because of you, my life is better, because of you, something is easier, because of you, I have some kind of hope, that is so much reason to get back up again and help one more person. And that, that for me has been a, a very, very powerful way to get myself through days where I've just thought, oh my gosh, I can't keep doing this. And you just think of those people, look outside you, uh, and you 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 can completely transform the way you feel when you focus your feelings on how other people will
0: feel if you get back up and you can help them move forward as well. So powerful. So clearly you were very well set up when COVID hit. What have the last 19 months done for your business?
1: It's It's been quite interesting for me because when I took on my tenure as the director of a university, I actually, by contractually, was required to completely turn off my online presence. So I had to make a very tough decision when I was offered that contract. It was an opportunity of a lifetime, and I was very well aware of the fact that most people don't get an opportunity like that until... 30 years older than I am. And I certainly realized that it was an opportunity that I couldn't turn down, despite the fact that the consequence of that would mean having to switch off everything that I'd built for 10 plus years before that. But I also looked at that and went, everything I've built for the last 10 plus years is exactly why I've been given this opportunity. Being seen on stages, being able to perfect and master my message in front of others has been what has enabled me to be trusted enough and be given the credibility enough to take on such a prestigious role. So it was the end of 2019. So we were literally only a few months away from the pandemic arriving. I basically started my business from scratch again. So I finished my tenure, I was big and pregnant. And I had no email list because I deleted everything. (laughs) I had no list, I turned off my social media presence, everything had been archived, and I basically didn't exist anymore. I mean, two years online is about the equivalent to 10 years face-to-face, right? Everything had moved on, everyone had moved on, my competitors had well and truly filled Sarah Corden void, and I was facing you know, literally what it was like to start from fresh again. And that was a very humbling experience that actually helped me understand my customer in a way that I'd almost lost touch with beforehand, because I... You know, you, we get so used to what we're doing and we have this curse of knowledge you know, and we know what we know and we're doing what we're doing. It's impossible for us to remember what it was like to not know that. And it's also certainly quite easy for us to forget how it felt. So for me, I had this very, very humbling opportunity to go, wow, now I know how my customers feel when they come to me, which is pretty powerful. All the technology had changed. So I went back to becoming a newbie and I'm a tech specialist, right? So there I was, I rebuilt everything again. And um, for me, I was literally a couple of months away from having a baby. So my second baby was born eight days into the pandemic. I was in the mindset of going, right, I have a business to start from scratch. And I literally have a couple of months to do it because this baby's coming. I also was living in Broome. So for those who are not familiar with Western Australia, Broome is the most remote town in Western Australia. It's a three-hour flight from the nearest city. I knew I would not be traveling, so I had to rely online. And I knew that I wouldn't be going anywhere with two children. So (laughs) I started to um, look at what is it that people like now? And I was seeing that there was a shift towards more community-centric learning but online. People becoming more familiar with online learning, with online communities, with accessing information and experts online, but they didn't want to do it alone. They wanted to do it with access to an expert. They wanted to do it in a way that had that social learning and that community experience with it. So I turned all of my online courses, because they were still in the archives up on the drive, turned them into coaching programs, but online. And people fell in love with them dramatically. I also... Collected together all of my old courses, and I created a membership for for those programs. So people could, instead of buying one thing here, there, and everywhere, and having the burden of ownership, instead would gain experience and access to a collective community of information and like-minded people and I have definitely in the last two years seen that that has been probably the biggest shift in this entire industry is people moving to a subscription-based business model which is obviously great for the business owner but also for the users to have that continuous source of support and the continuous building of the community around them as well. Yes. So tell us a
0: little bit about your topics. What topics do you present on?
1: Well, uh, I'm a postgraduate qualified curriculum developer and course creation specialist. So my core fundamental service is helping expert speakers, coaches, course creators, consultants turn that knowledge into online programs. So that could be self-study online courses, coaching programs, or membership academies, or indeed designing out retreats and immersion programs. So that's the main area that I focus on helping people with. But of course, around the outside of all of that, for it to be effective, you need to have effective technology as well. You need to have a great learning management system that's going to automate the process. You need to have fantastic check-in processes like email automation sequences. You need to have great marketing. And so my business basically and the services I provide help people first of all create those core products that is their assets and their income generating tools that actually impacts and transforms people, but also then to create the systems and technology around that to automate it and to bring in the most amount of people
0: and create a great customer experience as well. And that's quite unusual in the market as I understand it, because most of your competitors only specialize in one thing, just course creation. Am am I reading that right?
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of us, we all start, anyone successful starts with focusing on one key niche, one key focus area that is your core skill. But as you master a particular area, you can start expanding. Your skills, your knowledge and the way that you help people around that, if you choose to, and that can be a really fantastic way for you to scale. And so for me, I found that my passion began to expand. You know, my passion was expanding in those technology areas and I found it really fun teaching that. So I simply have added that onto my suite of services as I've gone
0: along over time. Excellent. Which really brings us quite nicely into the next, next question. Uh, you know, the definition of the term speaker is widening. You figured that out early with your, your online, not only your, your online courses, but your online presentations. Um, can you walk us through all of the different ways that you connect with your audiences now? You do have online courses. You have membership programs. What else do you offer? How can people engage with Sarah Cordner?
1: Yeah, so uh, I have a number of different steps that people can go through at the different levels of what kind of help or support or services that they need. And I actively encourage other experts to consider a very similar suite of offerings. So I always recommend that people have free things that people can access. You know, Not everyone is gonna have disposable income or not everyone's gonna have money right now. Perhaps people don't just have the trust in you just yet, right, that's a completely normal part of relationship building that has to be built first. So I like, I encourage a lot of other people do have a number of free offerings. I've got a free course creation starter kit. I have my podcast that's free. I've got a YouTube channel that's constantly having free educational content poured into there. I have over 500 videos on YouTube. I've got over 500, 600 blog articles. And of course I come on to um, conventions and online conferences like this and again, deliver things for free. And I have found that by far, this has been the most powerful way of growing my business, of reaching more people. The more free stuff you give away the more freebies you put out there i genuinely absolutely believe the more you get back so the free things are the first ways and it's so funny ironic in a way that i believe it's the free things that earn me the most amount of money so they're my most profitable products my freebies (laughs) and uh, from there I then obviously have um, cheap self-study online courses, lots of small mini courses. I have my whole Edupreneur Academy, which is a membership program that contains well over 60 plus online courses, monthly live group calls with me in an online community. And I give that away for just 47 bucks. I have coaching programs, uh, which take people through, you know, coming up with their course idea, creating and publishing and launching their course on their own platform in just 30 days. And I also have done for you services. You know, there's people out there who despite having all of the information available, just want to hand it over. Some people just aren't interested in learning. And yeah, I always encourage other experts and speakers to think, okay, you're a professional speaker and this is your topic of expertise where you impart knowledge. But is there something that you could do for people? Is there something within what you advise, talk about, inspire that you could charge a much higher fee for as a service? And people really value that. There is a whole other market in that space there, which is usually a higher ticket item as well. So I have my done for you services where I set up all of people's tech for them. I write their course outlines for them. I set up all of their online schools and email automations for them. And that's you know that's something that people really like. Uh, Pre-COVID, and they're slowly coming back now, were my course creation boot camps and my retreats. So, so I'd take people away for a week, bring my film crew, and they'd had everything filmed and their whole course published before they'd leave at the end of the boot camp. And I feel like now that we're getting through the other side of COVID, people have been locked in so long that you know, face-to-face is sort of so old that it's sexy again. And so I've actually just started running face-to-face training workshops all over again I feel like I've done this full circle uh, and we're back there now as well so there there's some ideas There are things that I do but there are ideas that every other expert can kind of replicate as offerings as well.
0: So we've seen a lot of changes over the last few years obviously and you seem to be uh, somebody who is by luck or design very future forward-looking someone who identifies trends and and is proactive in meeting those trends what do you see take us out over the next 10 years or so in your wildest dreams what do speakers lives look like 10 years from now
1: (laughs) well I think short of getting a crystal ball like this is where I like need to tap into my gypsy heritage and uh, start doing some crystal ball reading right (laughs) how rich we would be if, uh, if we could tap into that and really truly predict the future. One of the biggest things, honestly, that I've learned over the last 14 years of being in business is that we we can't necessarily predict what will happen, but we have to be prepared for everything. And this is why for me, um, you know, multiplying the way in which I distribute my expertise and knowledge has been absolutely critical to not only my survival, but in fact, my growth. You know, it's been interesting that we've just seen Mark Zuckerberg recently announced the fact that the metaverse is coming. Now, do any of us really know what that means or what that's going to to look like? Well, we've got some hints and tips, obviously, with, with what's been suggested. There's virtual reality. AI is is already in our lives, right? AI is, is constantly on our phones and in our tools in our apps and everything that we're doing all of the time. And, you know, obviously, all that stuff's going to certainly impact, I think, the way that we experience learning. I'm certainly seeing um, that the people are expecting now to not necessarily have to travel, to be physically present. I've, over the last two years, spent a lot of time on conferences, albeit live through a through camera um so i think there'll be a lot more flexibility demanded and i do believe that that may I don't know, intertwined somehow with sort of subscription-based models where people are subscribing to communities of learning where speakers are going to be um, you know, included in being in part of multiple circles where they're sharing their knowledge and expertise in those online communities. I think the more that we can familiarize ourselves with being able to continue to share our knowledge in a virtual world is going to be very, very beneficial. But I still do believe that there is going to be um, even more space For us to help even more people. At the moment, less than half of the world even has access to the internet yet. And I'm still seeing a lot of people going, you know, "The, the market is saturated. There's not enough room for me. Everyone's creating an online course on this. Everyone's got a program or a coaching program on that. And I'm sitting here going, we are at the beginning. We are the first generation ever to have online businesses we have first generation. So the bell curve hasn't even begun. When you consider the fact that half of the world doesn't even have internet yet, we are not even starting. So I think it's very important that we realize this and that we are at the forefront of an opportunity to be part of a new information, knowledge sharing, learning revolution. And no matter what that might look like in the future, simply learning how to transform your message from faces in a room to the lens of a camera is going to be
0: fundamental to the success of speakers in the future, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about unconvention 2022. You said that you were excited about the event. What has you excited about the event itself? And what are the delegates going to take away from your session? Other than your
1: energy and enthusiasm and passion. (laughs) I'm so looking forward to this. I was actually a speaker at one of the PSA conventions uh, over in the East Coast, I think about 2016. And it was it was just mind blowing the the amount of knowledge and information and inspiration and motivation that i came away with you know both as a speaker but as a, but also as a you know delegate in the room watching all of the other presenters was just invaluable. You cannot put a financial figure on what you get. And those relationships I made back then, I still have those friendships today. So I mean, you cannot even you cannot even take away from that um, at all. But I'm really excited. I actually then, back then, was delivering a presentation on creating courses. So uh, I'm still doing what I do. I'm still absolutely passionate about this as the world is moving even more towards this space um, since e-learning has now become sexy and a fundamental part of everyone's lives because of COVID. I'm looking forward to just showing I'm going to take you through my actual 10-step system. It's a very straightforward 10-step system to turn your keynote into a course. Most of you guys who are speaking have already done all the work. You already love your thing. You know your thing. You speak about your thing. You have content on it already. You know who you're talking to. You have done the work already. It's just a tiny bit of repurposing. It's a slight restructure and a slight reformat to then be able to make that available. I
0: think that's what stops a lot of speakers from doing that is because it just seems like such a large project. Having created an online course myself last year, it was a large project. So I'm personally looking forward to your 10 steps, your 10 tips. Excellent. Excellent. Are you ready for our rapid fire questions? Let's go. Okay. So rapid fire, favorite platform. A learning management system. Anyone in particular?
1: Um, I personally use Thinkific, but I love them because they do everything. You can make money and help people all along, all with one tool. Excellent. Favorite tech hack? Automation. Definitely email automation and being able to upsell and engage with your customers without touching or doing anything. Yes. Excellent. Favorite productivity hack? Productivity hack. Oh, it would definitely have to be doing the laundry and the housework and exercise whilst learning. I absolutely love having a podcast on or an online course on while I'm doing my mundane
0: tours. Yes, you and me both. I'm, I'm with you, sister. Uh, favorite meal? Salad and chips. <laughs> <laughs> Salad and chips. Okay. Favorite holiday spot. Is there any any place that you are thinking about going once the borders actually open for you guys in WA? Um,
1: well, we've been brave. We've actually booked a couple of holidays already, even though we don't know if we're going to be able to leave the country. Um, my favorite place is probably India, um, and we've booked a,
0: also booked a trip to Thailand with our fingers crossed for next year. Oh, next yes. Year. <laughs> yes. I love India. I spent four months in India, so again, I'm, I'm with you. Okay. Wine, beer, gin, vodka, or tequila? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> that's the right answer if you could have dinner with any three people in the world who would they be
1: oh that would have to be my family I with lockdown happened I haven't seen my mom or my dad none of my family have met my son they all are over in the UK I would give anything
0: to have dinner with my family and I can't wait for that day to come Oh, yes. I I just went back to the States and had uh, four days with my sister. So I can appreciate that. And last question, favorite book or podcast for professional inspiration?
1: Well, if you hadn't guessed already, I'm a little bit of a learning junkie. So I do. I'm one of those people who actually it's really hard for me to pick one. I, I probably consume two, probably two full books a week and two or three online courses a week. I couldn't possibly name one. I just feel that we are very fortunate to, from our mobile phones, have access to things like Audible and Kindle and Udemy and you know, all these amazing experts out there who have programs. Thank you to all of you people who share your knowledge with the world because I just love it and it helps me then go on and help other people. So I can't name one. Just thank you so much for books and podcasts and of course. Uh, this podcast, obviously, is absolutely fantastic. This is a great one. And it would I would be a terrible marketer if I didn't also mention that Sarah Corden's Course Creators podcast is also quite good. I've heard of that. <laughs> absolutely excellent. I will be. Uh, and where can you find that? On any of the podcasting platforms on your
0: app, yes. (laughs) Excellent. Well, Sarah Cordner, I have to say that it's rare that I have a guest on the podcast with more energy and passion than I do. And it's been a real pleasure to talk to you today. And I tell you what, even though I am co-convening and I can't play favorites, yours is one of the sessions that I will definitely be sitting in on. So for those of you listening out here, if you want more Sarah Cordner. and Who wouldn't, as well as some tremendously talented unspeakers at Unconvention. If you have not registered, register now. There's no time like the present. Thanks so much, Sarah. It's been a supreme pleasure.
1: My pleasure, indeed. I look forward to seeing everyone at the Unconvention 2022. We'll see you
0: there thanks for joining us for this episode of Unconventionally Speaking. We have over 30 unspeakers of this caliber at Unconvention on the 25th and 26th of March. So grab your seat today. Just click the link included in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone that you know who would also get value from this conversation. And follow or subscribe to the show to ensure that you never miss an episode. See you all at PSA Unconvention 2022. This episode is sponsored by Your Podcast Concierge, podcast production for speakers who want to increase their authority and generate leads from their show. You press record and let them do the rest. And to this, I can personally attest.